this week on Raise Capital, we welcome Dr. Sean Yusey, the chair of the African American Studies Department at VCU. Dr. Sean Yusey has brought some hard truths to the city of Richmond that we've had to reconcile through his films like Until the Well Runs Dry, Medicine and the Exploitation of Black Bodies as well as a film called Meet Me at the Bottom, The Struggle to Reclaim Richmond's African Burial Ground. Dr. Yutzi is being invited into spaces like the mayor's task force to reimagine policing, but per usual, the team in which the mayor has set up does not seem to be hearing that the origins of policing are rooted in rationalizing our behavior as being criminal. The foundation of policing is rooted in the majority of people in this country believing that black behavior should be overseen by the criminal justice system. The mayor's task force might not have been listening to Dr. Yutzi, but we are. So I invited him to give some key points from his presentation about the historic slave codes here in Virginia that were made to restrict black behavior, as well as an introduction to the defiance theory that not only disrupts the idea that our behavior is criminal, but points out that our behavior in its truest form is the resistance needed for a path to freedom and justice. Our conversation, well, our lesson today is on the history of criminalizing black behavior and the psychology that keeps our black bodies in chains. We jump directly into a conversation where he's explaining how the audience of Stoney's task force didn't quite seem to hear his message. Stay tuned for today's Race Capital with Dr. Sean Yutzi. Yeah, I don't know if they heard me. I, I think the chat, you know, in, within the group, there were comments and, and someone had asked the chief uh, on his thoughts about including that content in the training of officers. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem interested. He didn't seem interested in deviating from what they already do. I don't follow the uh, politics that closely to know where he comes from, but it seems like uh, the mayor is talking about reform, but the people he's bringing in aren't reform-minded. It's deep. It's really, as I, as I was talking to the folks in that group, and, and I gave this talk first time at Union to the former um, Commonwealth Attorney, um, Mike Henry. I, I, I like him personally. Uh, when I talked to him and met with him personally, he helps me to discover, like other politicians, mm -hmm. how difficult it is to be, to be centered and grounded in the community from which you came and to be on the inside of systems that are not necessarily in the interest of those communities. Right. Even when you try. Right, because uh, he invited me, but mm -hmm. he he vetted me like people do. They 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 vet me first. So we talked. He figured out I was safe. He invited me to the conference, and he was somewhat defensive mm -hmm. um, about the material. Although he and others agreed that this was interesting and and, and fascinating and important, mm -hmm. it seemed to be a, a defensive posture. Right. And I, I get that. But so what I was trying to do for this panel, uh, I was actually invited to be a member. Uh, but that was later rescinded, I guess. So the person who invited me is, is we was, we've always been cool people. I respect them. And, and so I think they tried to throw me a bone by asking me to do a, a presentation. Mm. And again, I accepted because um, uh, they asked me to do it. I was trying to, to meld two things. It wasn't simply a history lecture mm -hmm. or history lesson. It was trying to look at the psycho-historical context of policing. Right. Uh, as I try to always understand that history and psychology, two sides of the same coin. Right. And, and I was trying to make the connection between the origins of policing uh, and the current um, policing climate. And, mm -hmm. and even the idea of, of uh, stop and frisk is, is, is an old concept coming out of the slave patrols. Right. Uh, no knock warrants right out of the slave patrols. You know, uh, it, it's really, uh, you know, a, a repeat of a history we're familiar with. Right. So that was my whole point. And, and so I began talking about the sociopolitical necessity of, of, of black criminality. All of this is from the position of black criminality. Um, policing, whether they, they recognize this or not, uh, 
this is the lens from which policing is, is kind of created. And, and, and methods and techniques and policy all come from the notion of black criminality. And many times with life, with other things, it's not something we consciously do, but it's kind of right there in our subconscious when we think about policing. Um, in South Africa, uh, policing was, was entirely directed at controlling the black populations and protecting the white minority populations from the black majority. That was policing. South Africa is always a good model of the history of the United States. It's almost the exact same political dynamic, mm -hmm. but it's more contemporary. So mm -hmm. if you look at the origins of policing in the United States, the purpose was to protect the white in some states, in South Carolina, for example, whites were minority in relation to the black enslaved population. So the idea was there had to be some sense of safety for the white minority population to continue to endorse uh, slavery as it existed. When I heard you say that on the recording of the panel, I immediately went to the idea of Richmond being a majority black city, right? And historically, this being a place where black residents live. I, I think the concept applies. Again, right. the idea that when black folk outnumber white folk, mm -hmm. the policing policies are aimed at protecting the white folks uh, and giving them a sense of safety. It look at any, and even Trump's rhetoric about the suburbs, right? the same concept that, that the people in the suburbs, in his mind, white people, which again, is not true anymore, but in his mind, are not feeling safe, right? right? So the idea that there needs to be some safety or a sense of safety for the white minority populations is again steeped in this history. So yes, I, I think Richmond is a, a replica of that model whereby white citizens um, are demanding from their politicians protection. Right. Um, and, and, and so even black politicians are committed to that protection. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I really, and this is by, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm a Libra, but I, I always feel I always feel for the underdog. I always feel for people who I try to understand that, that they really can't win, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I really think Mayor Stoney has been held responsible as he should be. And he's contorting himself in ways that, that make me feel for him and, and trying to find a balance in doing the right thing and also trying to uh, address the concerns of his of his kind of uh, uh, power brokers who really control the strings. Right. This is why black people in, pol in politics right. is always difficult, right? It is. And I don't wanna get into the politics, but let's imagine this under any other circumstance. Mm, okay. We have been demanding that the statues come down for years. Right. Black folks had even given up hope that it wasn't really feasible, Yep. right? No one really put pressure on Jones to do that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the mayors before Jones didn't have the same dilemma. I forget who the mayor was when they put up Arthur Ashe, but that seemed to be like, okay, we can't take it down. Mm -hmm. Let's put up Arthur Ashe and maybe you'll go away and be quiet. Mm -hmm. Now, Stoney, right? <laughs> he took him down. Uh, I think he was trying to make a play for history, right? Like, like if I do that, no matter what my future is, I'll go down in history as having taken him down. I don't know what his motives were, right? But, but, but it was bold. Right. But because of his other issues, right, um, his bold move, which would normally have been celebrated, people are finding difficulty giving him credit for that, 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 that effort. Well, and also because he didn't take the statues down, the people took most of the statues down. Okay. And, and he honestly took down the ones that we couldn't pull down. Take down physically. Physically, right. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Right. 
That's also a big reason why people aren't giving him credit because we had to do it ourselves. And after all the commissions and the meetings, he had the same power two years ago after the Monument Avenue Commission came and followed through with the progress process, which they love to do. Right. And it was really the people that said, we're going to do it ourselves. And so the celebration for us has never really been about the mayor and that part, but you're right. And in our mind, if that would have happened two years ago, it would have been a celebration. So it's also now our exhaustion of asking for this and now doing it. And now also the frustration of even seeing national media celebrating him for this while people back at home are a little confused. No, no, I get it. And in fact, I suspect that that the move to take them down was in a response to the realization that he couldn't control them coming down anyway. Right. So might as well take him down and take credit than then let them come down by themselves because they're coming down. I, right. I get that. I get that. Uh, and certainly the times always dictate politics. And so Jones got a pass, although the statues were hardly even talked about on his watch. But, right. but he got a pass. He got a pass um, on the statues, but for all the new listeners, please know that Dwight Jones had his fair share of critiques as well. So we're, we're talking I about... Thought I thought he was an investigation for some activities that happened. I could be wrong. I'm not sure if it's still open. Is this involving his his faith? Church. Yeah, his church. And yeah. People, right, right, right. The, yeah. Yeah, but uh, if you are a listener and want to look at our previous mayor, Dwight Jones, and some of the scandals, lawsuits, as well as the proposal that was just as egregious of the Navy Hill proposal, which was this, the Shaco Bottom Stadium, um, which Dr. Utsi as well has done some extensive work around. Still here with Dr. Yutzi, and we are discussing Mayor's Task Force for Reimagining Policing, doing what he does with the history. And um, not to go into your entire presentation, you mentioned a little bit about the origins of policing from England and then coming over here yes. and to New England. If you wouldn't mind giving our listeners a little bit about the yes. origins of policing. Even with Black police chiefs, mayors, uh, doesn't negate the historical context and dynamics of white supremacy domination right. in that equation. A lot of people see that as a Black politician or even Black police chief as being different, right? right? And so it's really important to bring this historical context that goes beyond race of a one particular leader that's still really rooted here. In our right. That, that the dilemma for Black leadership and Kamala Harris was an example of a a past as a prosecutor, people are struggling with trying to reconcile how we do this. How do we, how do we engage a system that is designed to incarcerate, criminalize black people and keep our hands clean? Right. I was talking about the difficulty of black folk. So uh, again, white domination uh, and black criminality go hand in hand. The, the domination and subjugation of black bodies requires the criminalization of black people. And so the criminalization of that group makes their subjugation permissible. Not only permissible, but logical, right? right. They are criminal, so we have to police them. Um, and, and so I think a big part of this, and again, I'm always offending people, but I can't help it. There is a, 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 a um, origin of this black criminality that dates back to the uh, biblical text of Genesis, particularly in the story of Noah. Uh, the story of Noah has, has really been uh, informational or informative regarding not only black criminality, right, but uh, black inferiority. Mm. The story of, of Noah, and I don't want to insult my Christian listeners or your Christian listeners, but the story of Noah goes like this. The short story is, is Noah, the ark, after the flood, the ark landed, Noah and his family, right, his wife and sons, um, had landed and they were somehow in limbo for a while, right? And we know that his uh, son, Ham, um, had looked upon Noah in his drunkenness. I don't know why Noah was drunk, but he was drunk and he was naked. This is not me. This is the King James Version and other versions of the book of Genesis. Apparently, uh, Ham looked at Noah in his drunken nakedness 
his other sons, Jepheth and Shem, apparently covered him up. So as a consequence for Ham's behavior, uh, Noah asked God to curse Ham's descendants, not Ham, but Ham's descendants, all right, uh, in perpetuity. Um, we know that Ham's descendants are Cush. Cush is the Cushite, again, the Cushite people of Sudan, of Africa, are black people in the biblical story of, of, of Noah and Noah's Ark. So apparently after the flood, there were no more people. Noah's children were going about the earth to populate the earth. This is how they account for different racial groups. Uh, Shem, I think, are the Asian people and Jepheth are Caucasians or Europeans. Uh, but so we have a story in the book of Genesis, the first book, mm -hmm. that criminalizes black people immediately. Mm -hmm. The descendants of Ham committed a crime, i.e. a sin, right, against God. And for that crime, they were punished in perpetuity to be servants wow. uh, for their existence. This is not my story. This is the biblical story of Noah and right. his descendants, particularly Ham and Ham's descendants. Uh, and, and so we begin the story of Black people in this context. And, and to know that we claim our spirituality, Christianity, especially in the Black African-American community in the South specifically, as such a strong part of our culture, to hear you say that these stories and historical contexts have made it rational in our mind for Black criminality, and now to also bring that into a faith spiritual context as well in the very first chapter book in, in the Holy Scripture is also... This black criminality yeah. just is mind blowing, but continue. But here's how it works, though. This is, I mean, this is this is true. It's such a subtle story, right? If you don't, I mean, and we all know the story, right? Right. We all know the story, right? But we don't realize how we internalize our own criminality exactly. in the story, exactly. Right now, now sin against God is probably the ultimate form of criminality that we can imagine, right? Mm -hmm. For people who are deeply spiritual. Um, and, and how this criminality is, is attached to a sin that carries a sentence of, 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 of servitude, mm -hmm. right? In perpetuity. Mm -hmm. It's yep. not like uh, yep. you get punished and you're done. No, this is forever. And, and then if you go to the antebellum South, there was a Louisiana physician named Samuel Cartwright. Mm -hmm. And Samuel Cartwright is probably best known for having pathologized the criminality of black people, mm -hmm. right? Pathologized the criminality of black people. So now we see how insanity and criminality kind of go hand in hand. Right. And for black people, insanity is criminality. For white folks, insanity en engenders compassion because right. the person is not well. Right. So follow this. Samuel Cartwright was a Louisiana physician and he had a specialization in enslaved folk. The, the mental disorders of enslaved people. And a lot of folks are familiar with this, but probably don't know the entire story. Mm -hmm. So he came up with two disorders that describe uh, insanity in black people, enslaved mm -hmm. black people. One was called um, drapedomania, right? And drapedomania was the flight from home madness of enslaved people who ran away, right? Now running away was a crime, keep in mind, mm -hmm. right? Running away was a crime for black yep. people. Yep. Um, helping a black person run away was also a crime. Uh, you know, white folks would be prosecuted, black folks would be whipped. Yep. And, and there were laws around running away in terms of how many lashes you got for that offense the first time and the second time. So it was a structured criminal, you know, uh, uh, system yeah. um, for black behavior. So, yep. so Samuel Cartwright not only made this criminal, but he imbued a psychiatric diagnosis on this criminal behavior. So now we have criminality and uh, a psychiatric or, or mental illness now linked or insanity linked for black people, right? So our insanity invokes a criminal response. This is why we see today when we have the, the opioid crises in white America, we are crying crocodile tears and looking for solutions to help them with treatment. When we had the crack epidemic, is when we got the lock them up laws, the, the, the Rockefeller laws, the, the three strikes laws. We got all these criminal responses 
right, to a right. psychiatric illness for right. black folks. Right. Because as I said, there's a history of insanity or psychiatric um, disorders equaling criminality for black people. When you said that history and psychology go hand in hand, I feel that because I'm a clinical social worker, the example of what you just gave of criminalizing black behavior through actually like the medical field of diagnosing it in that historical context really blows my mind. Again, not that I've never seen it or thought about it before, Mm -hmm. right? But especially in these conversations currently for all the listeners as we're talking about crises alerts, Marcus David Peters and his situation. And now we're fighting to change the laws to where that type of mental health is no longer reacted with by a police um, answering that call. Instead, it would be help be met with compassion. And this is the same type of dynamic that we've seen from psychology and enforcement historically. And, and again, why Black psychologists, Black mental health workers, people with this lens, history, and experience, again, right now should be part of this work, y'all. Yeah. So I just wanted to say how my mind is also blown yeah. as a professional in this, just putting that together. Yes. That, that's it in a nutshell. This right. is, I don't know if people realize this in terms of the call to defund the police, which they're saying really is a call to redivert some of the resources to address the mental health issues right. is really speaking to the historical linking of mental illness with criminality for black right. people. Right. Right. We don't need, we don't need psychiatrists, psychology, we need police when black people have mental, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, this right. is it. This is, a history of this. this is a history. This is when we talk about youth and schools and behaving and having to go to the police, the, the school to prison pipeline. Dis- the, when I was a clinical social worker, y'all, the amount of diagnoses of disruptive behavior disorder that I had to give to young black students in Richmond public schools just to keep. And that was also the thing, Dr. UC, and I'm going to let you continue in just a second. But I, I, the parents, the choice that a lot of parents had was either the DOJ system, the juvenile justice system, or the social service system that comes with mental health. For many parents, that was just not a great option for either. But for a clinical social worker, many times, y'all, I felt like I was saving this kid from going to jail by giving him a mental health diagnosis. Yes. And, but that was how we were constantly navigating the system, just how to get help. And and this would, this would be helpful if it wasn't for the history of black folk in this dynamic, right? Even now, even now school has just started for me, right? Yeah. I've gotten about nine letters from mostly white students for accommodations, Mm. typically for learning disability diagnoses. Right. They get extra time. They get all kinds of accommodations, which makes, which, which makes sense to me. It's needed. Right. Right. Now, some people are gaming the system, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because these folks will also also got time on their SATs. Mm-hmm. They'll get time on their GREs, their LSATs, and any other grad school admissions tests they need. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. This is no different than the folks in California who were gaming the system to get their kids in the UC, USC and other schools, right? By right. paying these recruiters and other folks to, to, to help them coach them. Right. For black folks, we can't game the system like that. Nope. <laughs> the, um, the 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 consequences of these kinds of diagnoses for us yes. don't open up the door to resources right. they open us up for more stigma yes right and more right. criminalization right and so I, I think it's important to understand this history of policing mm-hmm. mental health and criminality go hand in hand wow and there were systems there were there were policies there were policy systems that were being engendered from the beginning, beginning with the, with the scriptures, the mm-hmm. story of Noah in the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. right? Right. That a blueprint yep. on the criminality of black people. Yeah. Then they began to tie in health, mental health to that criminality piece. Right. So what would engender empathy and for other folks engenders a criminal response for us. Right. And what's happening now illuminates that relationship in the call for defunding or diverting money to mental health people, right. social services people, who were right. really the ones who were needed. Right. 
Right. But for black people, historically, it's been criminalized. And so the police are needed for us. So it makes the perfect sense. It does. It really does. Now, let me just go on because I, I think the, the argument was somehow, mm -hmm. right, that black people, they just commit more crimes. Right. Right. Again, this argument is not new. Right. The idea that black people are more criminal and therefore require more criminal responses is not new. Mm -hmm. But the data doesn't bear that out. Right. And I always ask people in my classes, uh, people who, who haven't really taken some time to try to understand their, 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 their roots, particularly their African roots, um, and, we, and we begin to judge that and feel bad about our African roots because we think about civilization and we look at America and all the big buildings they have, right. the high, the, you, know, the, the, uh, uh, you know, technology that's there, and we go to Africa, we don't see, well, you do see the buildings, but people who haven't been think it's not right. as developed. But, but the question I, I tell my students that ask, how many prisons are there in Ghana hmm. or, or, or Togo? Pick any country except for South Africa. Pick any country, right? And I'll talk about that in a minute, but pick any country in West Central Africa mm -hmm. from which African-Americans come from and, and ask or research how many prisons are in the whole country, right? I guarantee you, we have more prisons in Virginia than most African countries have in the whole country. Wow. And it occurs to me that we should be judging how civilized a society mm. is by how many prisons they require. Woof. Right? Woof. That's and good. So let's try to understand the, the, the implications of criminalizing a whole population. And if black people are so criminal, why don't we see so many, why don't we see more prisons in Africa where black people come from, where there are more black people? Right. That there is no empirical basis yeah. for the idea that black people are somehow genetically predisposed to criminality more than anyone else. There's no empirical basis for that. Right. 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 So I, I think we have to understand then that that criminality is rooted in the black experience in America. Mm -hmm. and, and this was really important in my, in my, in my um, speech, my, my presentation, that even if we say that, that black folks in the United States uh, commit more crimes, and I'm not sure we can say that, but let's just say for argument's sake, we say that. Okay. We have to do two things. We have to define crime, right? Yep. And, and, yep. and we have to, as a psychologist and clinical social worker, we have to understand the behavior behind the crime. Right, right. Now on the surface, and I don't want to generalize, but I have to for this point. Okay. You rarely see, I don't want to say ever, you rarely see black people walk into school and shoot everybody in the room. Right. No reason, right? Right. <laughs> Typically, the crimes that black folk generally commit, not always, but generally, are, are of a personal nature, mm -hmm. right? Either a crime of passion, mm -hmm. Uh, whether that passion be something silly like you stepped on my sneakers mm -hmm. or you dissed me, whatever, it, it's, it's, it's personal. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's a, a, a random act of wanton violence for no good reason. Right. right? right. Um, and, and, and therefore, I suggest that it's typically a function of our socialization of being criminalized, of right. being alienated, being isolated, right? a sense of despair that permeates a community that is faced with high unemployment, uh, a lack of access to education, mm -hmm. uh, to housing, mm -hmm. um, to healthcare, right? When you, when you treat people in that fashion, you make them desperate. Yeah. And people engage in desperate behavior. That behavior is then later criminalized. Some of the behavior that we're locked up for wasn't always criminal. Yeah. Right. And some of the behavior we're locked up for now is no longer criminal, i.e., uh, uh, the you know decriminalization and legalization of marijuana. Right. 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 So, so again, criminal behavior is something that is often defined post hoc. Right. Mm. And, and, and so again, even our behavior around insurrection and rebellion of our enslavement. Yep. Was criminalized. Patrick Henry said. Give me liberty or give me death. We celebrate that. Nat Turner acted on that and we criminalized him, right? Yep. Gabriel acted on that same sentiment 
and they executed him. Yep. So, so my point in my presentation was that, that and Samuel Cartwright uh, pathologized those enslaved Africans who ran away. Right. So criminal behavior is really in the, behind, in the, in the eyes of the beholder. Mm. And, and, and who gets to define what criminal behavior is. Right. And, 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 and locking kids in cages. Um, uh, all of the behavior we see going on today. Yeah. Yeah. In, in most reasonable people's eyes, is criminal behavior. But legally, it's not criminalized. Right. So I think we have to be clear on that, right? Right. right. And the criminalization of Black people is essential in understanding policing. Right. Um, because they're only responding to this criminalization uh, by those who make the policy. Mm. Now, let's go back. And again, I won't go through the history of, of policing as it concerns uh, England and, and its origins, but, but I will talk about some of the early policing in Boston mm -hmm. um, in terms of night watches and, yep. and, and later day watches. That was essential. But in terms of black folks, I'm going to jump right to South Carolina because that's where it begins for us, right? Yep. Yep. And, and, and the idea that, that uh, policing, as, as we understand it today, um, really began as a consequence of, of the slave codes and enforcing the slave codes in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I talked about Friedman and his analysis of development of law enforcement and how the uniqueness of the black experience uh, is really tied to the need to regulate, to regulate slave behavior, to regulate slave, enslaved people, to regulate the institution itself, and to enforce black codes. Yep. Now, the, the black code or the slave codes, uh, right, were designed to control and criminalize black behavior. Uh, the slave codes relied much heavily on capital punishment um, and the criminal codes that were binding on, on white, citizenry, citizenship, white citizenship was, was, was kind of the, the, the relationship that, that made those black codes uh, enforceable. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the black codes that, that, that we are concerned with, particularly in Virginia, and it's important to realize that in Virginia, there were over 130 slave codes between 1689 and 1865 uh, as a consequence of the need to control enslaved people. And they talked about where enslaved people could go, where they couldn't go, who they could be with, uh, how many could gather, uh, religious um, ceremonies, uh, mm -hmm. marriages, uh, could they own land, could they you know, buy property, could they engage in contracts, uh, could they testify against whites in court? There were, there were numerous uh, uh, codes that regulated the behavior of black people, mm -hmm. right? And as you can see, again, we, we're calling them slave codes. But in reality, because they were uh, based on legal codes or legal or, or the law, right, they were in essence criminal codes, right? And they were right. really establishing, further establishing the criminalization of black people and black behavior. And if you look at the slave codes, they haven't gone away. They've been repackaged and expanded. So there are more things now, right, mm -hmm. that will get black people criminalized than there were during the 1800s right. when black codes first were enacted. Right. As you mentioned earlier, we have police in the schools. Uh, a fight today versus when I was a kid uh, will get you charged, right? Yep. Yep. Inappropriate touching that would have gotten you suspended um, when I was a kid, yep. would get you charged and on a sexual predator list today. We've heard of, of black men dating a girl who is also a minor. Both of them are minors. Male is still liable for having violated criminal codes in most right. states, right? Yep. And, and the, typically what happens is, is some states choose not to charge them. Exactly. Some states choose to charge them. Yep. Uh, again, we see an expansion of criminal codes as opposed to any, anything else. Now, 
Well, also really quick, really quickly, what you just said too, right there about choosing to charge or choosing not to charge Mm -hmm. that type of structure is also another way to criminalize black folks and protect certain people. Right. And I just want to, for the listeners, let folks know in many of our criminal justice ordinances and laws and bills, including the decriminalization, the one word of may or shall, which gives police or enforcement that type of discretion is still something that we are arguing on today, right? And if it's a may, that means they may charge you, they may enforce it, or they may not. And they usually may not do that for white folks, and they absolutely do that for black folks. So just um, keeping an, an ear out for narratives and important words that are still historically there doing the same type of function. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, I, I was actually a expert witness on a case recently in Richmond Wow, of a mother who was charged with three felonies um, for uh, beating her children for child abuse. And the public defender asking me to weigh in mm-hmm. on the cultural nuances uh, that might provide some insight into her behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, the story is that the, the, the mother had sent the male child, who was, I think, 11, mm-hmm. to take the garbage out, right? Mm-hmm. He's down the street at the park. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, most Black people understand mm-hmm. that, that that's the kind of stuff you catch a beating over, right? Right. Yeah, it's clear. Right. Now, he caught a beating. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to school, there was a welt march, a welt mark on his leg or arm, and they called the authorities. She was arrested and charged with three felonies. I was pained by this. I really was. Because wait, 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 wait. From the one, the one beaten, she was charged with three felonies? She spanked the other two siblings. Okay. For not telling her that he had gone to the park. gone. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But only he had the marks. Right. It was because he, he put his hands up and yeah right, right. three now, felonies three felonies now here's what hurt me there are two things there are two things mm-hmm. there's there's this idea that infuriates me that somehow black people own the copyrights for corporal punishment right we are the only ones that beat our kids right when in fact when i was in school in north carolina right Mm-hmm. It was a while ago, but not that long ago, but it still exists in some states. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to a mostly white middle school. We got beatings regularly. Right. You had a choice, three right. days suspension or three licks. In Texas, they still do this. In other parts of the country, they still have corporal punishment. It's right. part of the school system, right? Mm-hmm. So here's what really pained me. Mm-hmm. This black mother knew the kind of danger her child was in yep. being at that park yep. in the evening by himself. Yep. And she didn't know where he was. She was probably, she was probably struck with terror about right. what could have happened to him. Right. So, so I understood how serious that was. Yep. I don't think the white criminal justice system understood what she was trying to do. Right. They didn't understand what her choices were. Right. They charged her according to the criminal code, right? And if we understand the origins of the criminalization of black people and black behavior, mm-hmm. we understand how this fits neatly mm-hmm. and how her story reflects hundreds of stories right. of people who are just doing their jobs, right? And trying to protect their babies. I mean, this... I'm trying to, I'm, yeah, trying to protect their babies. But I'm saying that on the other end... Oh, the... They're going to claim we're just doing our jobs. Right. Well, that's the, mo- the... It's the law. And black mamas, we just doing our jobs of keeping our kids safe. And, and I was saying, when I heard the story, I knew immediately, oh, that's beaten. I mean, you know, yeah. that was <laughs> right. about that. You did what? Right. There are other things that would, that, would, that would seem on the surface to the white community to be more severe. Mm-hmm. But for a black parent, me not knowing where you're at. Right. It's serious. Especially you mentioned it was in the evening. In the evening. Come on. In a community where uh, uh, you need to know where your children are. Absolutely. So she was being a responsible mother. Right, right. Right? She was being a responsible mother. She probably knew that there were other mothers 
who weren't being as responsible and not monitoring their children's uh, whereabouts, who were probably also at the playground. Right. And she knew, needed to know where her child was in order mm -hmm. to protect them. Yeah. But again, she found herself facing three felonies. Now, eventually, and, and even here was, here was the, the public defender's approach. Mm -hmm. And she, was, she really was well-meaning. Mm -hmm. She really was on I'm the sure. crime side, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but her limited understanding of the, the cultural implications of this uh, limits how much she could understand yeah. how to help. So right. a plea deal is what they do. Trying to plead to something that's not a felony. Right. In her mind, that was a, a win. Right? right? If we can get it down to something that's not a felony, that's a win. Right. But it still criminalizes the behavior. Absolutely. Of, of black people. Absolutely. But this is just one example. There are many examples. Right. Right. Well, and I, I, I am also glad that I hear that a public defender would call someone like you for that type of expert witness. I'm appreciative that your voice is in those types of courtrooms to give that context. You're listening to Race Capital on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. And we're tuned into the conversation of criminalizing black behavior with Dr. Sean Yutzi. Stay tuned. So let me just run quickly in inches of time through the, the, the functions of the slave patrols. Slave patrols, as I think most people know by now, is kind of the origins of policing in the South and mm -hmm. kind of organized policing in the country. Right. Uh, 1704 in South Carolina, the first slave patrol was developed and they were controlled by the counties, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, they were the precursor to formal policing, kind of more legislative function. The three primary functions of the slave patrols was to chase down, apprehend, and return to their owners any runaway slaves, to provide a form of organized terror to deter slave revolts, and to maintain a form of discipline for slave workers who were subject to summary justice outside of the law if they violated any plantation rules. So they had very specific uh, uh, functions. Slave patrols were uh, uh, later government-sponsored. Um, they were well-organized. They were paid and they were there to prevent crimes and insurrection. And, and many times we know that there were also informal slave patrols by all able-bodied white men who were required to serve. Mm -hmm. And they had the authority, as we see today in, in, in um, Trevon Martin, um, in other scenarios in which ordinary citizens feel empowered to stop and ask black people for their papers. The equivalent of asking somebody, what are you doing around here? Can I help you? Right? And I've been asked that too. Can I help you? And this can I help you is can I see your papers? It's not like, do you need directions? It, no. Can I help you? Yeah. Right? And black people yeah. understand that. Can I help you means, can I see your papers? Yeah. In, in, in modern terms. Yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> Definitely. But many black folks have been to the store, to the mall. And, and you walk in and folks run up to you. Can I help you? It's not how can I help you or what may I do for you or can I, sh no, what are you doing here is right. what they're asking, right? Mm -hmm. Again, the criminalization of black people, it happens not only in the streets, it happens in, in shopping centers, it happens in stores, it happens right. in schools, right? Right. right. And, and black people have become comfortable with the idea of schools being kind of uh, places where we simply contain children. We mm. watch them, we monitor them. Not a whole lot of teaching going on. Right. But we try to keep the teachers safe. Huh. Right? And when they get to high school, we're really keeping them here so they're not on the street, harming yeah. white folks. And, and so you can see the differences in the education in black communities versus white communities from the lens of criminalization of black people. Um, and it really does have its origins in a system that was more uh, direct in its intention. Yeah. The intentions haven't really changed, uh, but the, the, the mechanisms have. But let me, let me talk about something that's really, really important. Uh, how we uh, characterize resistance as criminal, right? Mm -hmm. And many of the discussions we've seen recently about the, the the resistance in the streets being categorized as looting and, and violence and, 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 and riots. And, and some of it is misplaced. Some of it is random, mm -hmm. but, but that's not the point. 
It's not the point. Right? Uh, there, there is no distinction made between individuals, right, and, and the efforts. So the movement, in this case, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. not the organization or not even the movement, the concept, the concept, Black Lives Matter. That's what it's come down to. Thank you. Concept. It's based on a concept. Yes. And, and what has happened is the concept is being criminalized. Right. Forget about the movement and the people doing what the concept is being criminalized, mm-hmm. right? And there is a, there's a, a history of this criminalization of the concept of Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. right? It is, I tried to make the case of this, its origins, but even today, many times, Black folks are, are resisting these systems that seek to do violence to us. And that very resistance is criminalized. Mm. There are some things that we can't even say out our mouths, otherwise we'll be punished. If we call out some people on their racism, if we call out certain communities on their violence and racist behavior, we'll be punished. Mm -hmm. This is part of the criminalization of the concept of Black Lives Matter. Because when we say stop killing us, right? Mm -hmm. Stop brutalizing us. We're just saying black lives matter. When we connect the criminalization and brutalization of black people to the idea that white supremacy domination is at the root of it, and we are punished for that, that is again criminalizing the idea or the concept that black lives matter. Now, let me, I want to talk about defiance. Mm. And you mentioned the idea that, that, that this whole concept of Oh, uh, opposition, oppositional defiance disorder and a lot of black kids being given that label mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it really is a, a, a metaphor mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. a metaphor mm-hmm. uh, for, for black people in general right? <laughs> yeah. yeah oppositional defiance disorder mm-hmm. if you think about that right mm-hmm. that's really the diagnosis we, we stand accused of yeah yeah wow well, as I noted Instead of feeling empathy, let's say, let's say, for example, that is true, that black people have oppositional defiance disorder. Folks will say, oh my goodness, oh, that's awful. How do we help ameliorate, right? That, but, but that's not what happens to people who are criminalized. No. Our, our disordered behavior, our pathology, our psychopathology that would normally require treatment. Yep is criminalized and requires criminalization or requires law enforcement. I was going to say, Dr. Yuti, and and bringing up ODD, again, this was another reason why I got out of direct care work is because when I looked at my client list of who had the ODD diagnoses and who maybe had something more ADHD or just, you know, emotionally disturbed NOS, which are all big terms, y'all, for just, you know, not criminalizing them as much. But as a clinician, I knew ODD, conduct disorder, these were the things that basically there's no turning back for these kids. They were kind of gone, you know, and, and I just continued to learn that those were mostly the, my kids that were, were Black ones, and they got them at such young ages, y'all. So what you're saying, yeah. Dr. Yusey, completely makes sense and how it even starts at a, at a very young age. Yes. And, and I think your, your point about, I mean, the harm that's done. Yeah. And this is where the real war is. Uh, the, 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 I don't want to, I'll say this, <laughs> uh, but there are multiple, front, multiple fronts on any war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the major front is not really in the streets. Yeah. The major front is, is really in, in the, is in interrogating and dismantling mm-hmm. these conceptualizations. Right. Uh, right. right. That criminalize, criminalize black people. The harm that we do in the schools, psychologists, right? Like myself, social workers, teachers. We are damaging these kids yeah, way yeah. before, right? In fact, we're priming them for that system that awaits them. Yep. Right? We begin the criminalization now. Yeah. Right? Only because we are forced into this, this language mm-hmm. that's given to us. Mm-hmm. in our formal education that mm-hmm. explains behavior 
of black people in ways that pathologize us. And as we already know, pathology equals criminalization for black people. Right. So when we get a DSM to say, okay, go through this and pick out what's wrong with them, right? <laughs> the conversation is already over. Because we have a list of possibilities. When you and I know the real reason is not in that list. Yep. But we're forced yep. by an economic, by a capitalist system to pick from that list to get paid. That's right. Right? That's it. So we try, those of us who, who are trying to make this work, who before, you know, we figure out it can't work and we leave, right? Yeah, right. Or we, or we don't leave and we you know, do something else, but that's another story. We try to pick the, to pick the least dangerous one, right. right? Right. And for black kids, there is none. There is none. There is none. And so we, we, we're struck with that. And, and uh, as you noted that the kid gets the diagnoses uh, and they're followed for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And yeah. they don't get extra time. They never make it that far. The, the extra time on SAT never becomes relevant for them. No. Right? No. For the white kid, they'll make it that far and then it's worth the wait yes because they get extra time on sat and when they get to college nobody cares what your diagnosis was in elementary school yeah but for the black kid who never makes it that far when they find themselves in court on another charge their records are brought to court yep yeah because mental illness equals criminalization yep then it's another it's like a, a prior offense exactly yeah. It's like a prior offense. And, and I, for a long time, I was an expert witness as well as a family advocate. I just volunteered myself because I would find that kids would be in those situations. And instead of y'all working with youth and mental health, and I've worked in group homes, foster care, schools, almost every setting you could imagine. What I saw was with the diagnoses is that white students would get these accommodations and black students would get accommodations for their support systems, as in like their teachers and everyone that was there within the system that was supposed to be working with the child would be supported, but then would leave that child out. So again, and to me, that's what I see with policing is that policing is actually just protecting everyone around the black person that needs help, whereas a white person, we're actually giving them that empathy, right? And that's what we're seeing in school systems. And that's how that kid, that black kid makes it to a courtroom instead of to a college. Yes. And this is, I'm hoping this makes it plain. The, again, the important, if nothing else I said stays with you, the link between uh, mental health or mental illness and criminality Yeah. and the establishment of black as criminal and how that link happened in the antebellum South. We get to explain how uh, people who need uh, psychiatric care are shot by the police, right? And how we see videos of, of naked white men chasing the police <laughs> and the police retreating and ultimately taking them peacefully. Yeah, yeah. It explains why the response is different. Yeah. Right? And why even someone who just killed nine people is taken to Burger King and gotten some food before he's taken to jail. Right. Because they engender empathy. They're not well. Right. Right? They're, they're, they're sick. They can't help what they've done. Right. Right. Now, as a psychologist, I have to say that's true. That, that, that some behavior mm -hmm. is not the responsibility of the person. They're, they're, they're mentally ill. They're not well. Sure. They're having delusions, hallucinations. They're, they're not operating in, in reality as we know it. And what they do is, is not, it's a sickness. It's a mental illness, right? right? If, I, if I'm a psychologist, I have to buy into that to sure. some degree. Sure. Therefore, Absolutely. I shouldn't judge people. But that's very different when, when some people have been criminalized for their behavior, mm -hmm. right? This is why, this is why, this is a lot of stuff I, I say is controversial. And I'm not getting to the controversy in terms of my opinion about it, but Bill Cosby, mm -hmm. this is why he's in jail. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be in jail, mm -hmm. but there are others who are not in jail mm -hmm. for the same behavior, right? right? right. So, so even when we are in jail, as we might, Right, because as, as our behavior would suggest, that. there are others who've done the same thing, right, for whom it wasn't seen as criminal, exactly. 
It was more like, oh, that's what boys do. That's what boys are being boys. You know, they just do that kind of stuff. Right. They'll outgrow it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas black male, black men will find themselves with long sentences for the same crime. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to go through a litany of, of the examples, but it's there. But let me just real quickly go through this before we end. It's very important. Defiance theory. There's a whole theory around this, this idea of defiance. Mm-hmm. But it talks about the importance of, of perceiving punishment to be unjust. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that black folks don't understand that a right and wrong, right, and consequences and responsibility of one's actions. That's what the argument is, right? That somehow take responsibility actions. What about personal responsibility? This is the reaction of the white power structure and even black surrogates of the white power structure to say. But my, my point is, is that, it, but, but, but that's, the, that's, the, that's the point we try to make when we try to dismiss mm-hmm. black people who say, well, wait a minute. Black on black crime is not the same as the killing of black people by the state. Right. But the people who try to in, in, you know, impose or, or inject black on black crime are talking about this idea of responsibility. I'm saying that defiance theory acknowledges that black folks recognize right and wrong. But the idea of unjust punishment is what results in defiance. When people think that this is unjust, that's when they resist. Right. And so because we have an unjust criminal justice system, black people resist it. This is why we don't snitch. It's not that black folks don't like to see uh, uh, or, or embrace crime. No, we recognize an unjust criminal justice system. Right. And to participate in it is it, it, kind of uh, uh, condoning it. So we resist it. Yeah. And there are several ways in which we resist it. And I'm saying that our resistance to it is also criminalized. So defiance theory explains conditions under which punishment increases crime, Mm -hmm. right? So punishment perceived as unjust can lead to unacknowledged shame and defiant pride that increases future crime. Punishment perceived as unjust can lead to unacknowledged shame and defiant pride that increases future crime. I always, I gave the example during the, the lecture, the movie Glory, when the character played by Denzel uh, was being whipped. And, and I reminded people that the reason he was being whipped is because he had ran away, he had absconded or deserted temporarily to get some shoes for his, his, his mates or his, his comrades who didn't have shoes. Right. So he ran away to get some shoes to come back to give to them, right? They whipped him for that. Yeah. And the most powerful moment in that whole movie was when Denzel stood there in defiance to be whipped. Yeah. Right? This is the concept mm-hmm. that, 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 that when I feel that your system is unjust, right, I'll resist it with a sense of pride in that, in that resistance. This is really the whole concept of, of why we are so enamored with the Black Panther Party carrying guns, that we don't understand the breakfast programs, the school programs, the social services programs they had in place that probably had a bigger impact. Yeah. We like the idea of them carrying guns, right? Mm-hmm. We, we like this defiance in the face of an unjust or an unjust system. It, it's something about that. It's like, you know, and even what's going on now in the streets reflects this defiance right. to an unjust system. Exactly. And so exactly. when we pathologize that, right, and we criminalize that, even some of us believe it's criminal. Right. That's the problem. It's not the behavior. The behavior makes perfect sense to me. Now, I had a problem with folks uh, when they um, looted my man, the, 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 the jewelry store. Cause, and Wallers. You know, long story short, uh, defiance can be misdirected. So it's not, I'm not, we're not going to caught up, we're not going to get caught up on the strategic nature right. of the defiance and defiance. So it makes sense to me. Exactly. Right? That, that when people are faced with injustice, at some point, even Martin Luther King, he was defiant. We yes. have romanticized it as nonviolence. Right. But he was being defiant. Rosa right. Parks, she was being defiant. These are, these are why we, uh, Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. was being defiant. Mm-hmm. This is why we celebrate these people. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. like this. We like this, right? And mm-hmm. so it, it works. Uh, 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 Patrick Henry was being defiant when he said, give me liberty, give me death. It yeah. works unless the people 
who express this have been criminalized. And then their behavior becomes criminal. Right. And that's, that's really, that's really more important in my mind is not the history of policing, but the history of the criminalization of black people that was parallel with policing. Policing was a tool of the criminalization of black people. Right. The tool is not as important as the, 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 the concept itself. So we should be clear on, on that part. And I would agree with you as well. And to us, that's a big reason why defund the police is such a powerful term for us because it gets to the budget line and it gets to really looking at how much we're spending. And for us, that's when we can look at, look at more holistic responses, reallocation and things. And we can more of these institutions and systems that are really running the, the idea of black criminal, criminality. Absolutely. In fact, the, the whole movement really is saying what I'm saying, or I'm saying what they're saying. Yeah. We're saying the same thing, yeah. but using different language. And the idea of re-diverting or decriminalizing black behavior. It really it, is. What happens when you take away from law enforcement and put it toward, you know, treating people <laughs> I've been saying uh, a diverting from systems of harm to systems of care, right? Yes. And, yes. and we do also need some work with those systems of care. We understand that as well. And this would also be a huge move for just safety, general anxiety for black folks in general, if we were to yes. start making those moves faster than we are now. And I locally here, we're hearing the chief say that he needs more money to make the visions go. Um, we're also seeing folks from all over, including black folks saying that this does seem rational with this type of mm-hmm. explanation that you've os- offered today, Dr. Yutzi. Well, let me and give you one point of caution. Please. I'm sorry to disrupt you, interrupt you. but because but, I'll forget if I don't say it right now. But it's important in, in re-diverting or redirecting or can di- diverting these resources from law enforcement, all right, or systems of harm, this is of, you know, of care. We have to be careful that the people who show up on our other end don't exact the same harm, but differently, not physical, but psychologically, as those on the other end. So if somebody shows up in response to a, a, a psychiatric call and they commit this person <laughs> on some, you know, you know uh, trumped up diagnosis. Right you can do just as much damage there as you could in the other direction. So we have to be careful, as you said, on that end as well. Very much. And that is a whole other show, but that is a really important conversation as we are inviting folks in because many a times those with the official powers, authority to place people into those positions only know folks that still have a mindset of criminalizing black folks. They might have the degrees and the, I call them the white validation on your resume, but when they come in, they still know how to use the systems and the tools of the system to continue to criminalize us. I have lots of privilege. Um, Some of it's uh, inherent. I was born with it. Some of it I gained as a consequence, Uh, but I'm I'm a a light-skinned male uh, with a PhD um, who's uh heterosexual mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's my privilege yep um, and how do you use it to dismiss to um... well I've gained access uh, I've gained access not because not only because of my privilege because there are other people who have my privilege mm-hmm. who don't have my access because mm-hmm. uh, my parents taught me how to to use my my privilege. They didn't use this language, but they taught me how to make white people comfortable mm-hmm. to allow me access, right? Uh, and then I can raise hell and, right. and make them uncomfortable right. in a way that's strategic. And that's what I do. Wow. And so I tried to do that with regard to the, the, the parking lot, the African burial ground work with, the, with the, uh, uh, the remains and the well work. There are over 25 black PhD students in my department there were one, there was one when I got there. Uh, we have about seven black faculty. There were two when I got there. Yeah. So I, I've used my privilege, I think, um, uh, in a way that, that I think is impactful. 
Yeah. And yeah. so I try not to admit, I try not to, to, to use that privilege to uh, randomly, but strategically, because we need black people in, in those situations in graduate school and in, on faculty who are just not black, right. uh, but who have an agenda to advance uh, black progress, black liberation. So it, it's not symbolic use, it's strategic use. Right. Uh, and there are probably ways I can use it more frequently and better. And I, I'm willing to hear that as well. It's great. It's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Yutsu. I know your privilege has impacted me heavily. I know that I'm still in this time inviting one or two friends that, of course, are corona free over to watch your films. This is a story I'm telling in the streets very often about the parking lot, about the wells. And I do feel a privilege that when I was watching this panel the other day, I could just shoot you a message very quickly and have this conversation, have access to you. And I, I do feel also another privilege that people are going to be listening to you and I can pass on this information. Thank so thank you for working with me to get this information out to people. Thank you for doing the research and continuing to step up and, and step into these spaces to tell the truth. Thank you. And, and uh, again, I've been, I've been, watching and, and, and I see that you, you're learning that it's not easy to disrupt. And sometimes you disrupt people who you thought were on your team, but that means, that means you're effective. And, and, and yeah, and so keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I, I wanna send you a copy, the link to a trailer of my new work on Central State Hospital uh, that talks about the criminalization piece. Um, yes. So the, the full project is still under, construction or in development, but okay. I have a trailer that, that will give you some idea of what's coming. I'll that's, send it to you. That's great. And we will share that as well. And um, we're, I know I've been waiting a long time on this, on this project as well, as well as many folks into mental health fields. And this will be another well project. This will be another African burial ground mm -hmm. story y'all that we will repeat. And that will show us a lot of how we, again, have not truly made Black Lives Matter here yeah. in Richmond. So. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Yussi. All right, take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into Race Capital, where we have interrogated Black criminology and how that has been rooted into our psyche and narrative here in the fallen capital of the Confederacy. We'll catch you next week, right here at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, only on Race Capital.